This podcast is proud to be part of the Blueberry Network. That's blueberry with no E's dot com. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire, and you're listening to Transpersonal Radio with Angela Lynn Gibson. Remember, your thoughts upload your reality. Think wisely and always prepare to ignite. Welcome. Welcome to Transpersonal Radio. Transpersonalradio.com. Real talk for real life. Inspiring podcasts. Exploring personal empowerment. empowerment. And transformation. Through parapsychology, spirituality, and how your thoughts Up. upload your reality. And now your host, Angela. Angela L. Gibson. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash transpersonal radio. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Today I'm sitting here speaking with Donna Noack Robillard. Where are you joining me from today? I live in Michigan, in beautiful northern Michigan. Northern Michigan, great. I've never been to Michigan yet. I'll have to put that on my list. (laughs) Donna has agreed to uh, sit with me this morning and talk a little bit about her um, adventures, if you will, about um, dysautonomia. And Donna actually has a few other things going on that are comorbid or existing alongside the dysautonomia, and we'll kind of get into that. Donna, what, what is your official diagnosis? The, the ones that really relate to what we're talking about is I have the PATS, the postural osteostatic tachycardia, along with left ventricular dysfunction with the heart, hemiplegic migraines, persistent Epstein-Barr virus and cytomegalovirus infection, which has led to chronic fatigue syndrome, or in other, other countries, or those of us who have the illness like to say that we have myalgic encephalomyelitis. We're gearing away from the chronic fatigue syndrome definition because it really does not relate to what we really have. It's misleading. I also have celiac d- disease, angioneurotic edema, and of course a host of other autoimmune diseases that go along with a lot of this, this just having these illnesses in general. Oh boy, you are in for a ride, aren't you? Yes. Wow. When did you first start exhibiting symptoms? Um, the, the POTS, I had that as a teenager. Same with the hemiplegic migraines. At the time, we didn't know what was going on. Kind of blew it off in a sense. We went to doctors. They said, oh, she's hyperventilating. She's It's stress. They really couldn't give us any accurate diagnosis of what was going on. It got better as I grew up and then was officially diagnosed with them, um, the POTS in 1993 when I had the um, Epstein-Barr and cytomegalovirus infections and then the hemiplegic migraines didn't get diagnosed until just a year ago. Wow, that's similar to what happened to me actually. I, I was having symptoms all through childhood and especially with the vasovagal syncope, just, you know, I'd pass out. And uh, the doctors, you know, same thing. They're like, well, we don't really know what's going on, but I wouldn't worry about it. She'll outgrow it as she gets older, <laughs> right? She'll, she'll get over it. Um, also, the whole, you know, stress or anxiety or, 
you know, those kinds of things. And, and I didn't get officially diagnosed until my adult years. Also, uh, did not get officially diagnosed with the hemiplegic migraines until much later than that. So, yes, sort of the same path, interestingly. A few years ago, before I was diagnosed with my with my true hemiplegic migraine, we were on vacation in a small, a very small rural town in my hometown. I, I don't go back there very often. And we were driving, and I, I got kind of sick. I was just starting to feel funny. All of a sudden, I, my, I couldn't move my arms, and I couldn't move my legs. And I told my husband, something's happening. I said, we need to get to the ER. And very rapidly it progressed where all of a sudden my eyes closed and my, my body fell against the window and I said, I'm totally paralyzed. And as I'm saying this, my speech is getting slower and slower and um, having trouble, you know, cognitively, you know, understanding what's going on. And I had to, by feel of the road, tell my husband um, how to get us to the ER and at this point, I had absolutely no clue what was going on, and it had been years since I've had a total paralysis episode, and like I said, was not diagnosed yet with these hemiplegic migraines. We got to the ER, and, and my husband said, she can't move. She can talk, but she's, she can't move, and the guy came up, and I said, I'm paralyzed, he said, you know, but I'm slurred when I'm saying this, and he got a wheelchair for me. And picked me up and put me in the wheelchair. And of course, if you're paralyzed, you have no body control. Wow. And I just slipped, boom, right on down to the ground. Oh, my. Um, and then they picked me up and, and put me on the gurney and took me in and ended up through this where I ended up wetting myself. And, I, you know, they weren't believing that this was not a real thing happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they kept bringing up that it's, it's a psychosomatic episode. And my husband's like, well, why? Why would something like that just happen? Right. You know, we were on vacation. She was having a great time. What would, you know, what would she be so upset about that would just, well, she's got health issues and they'll just come up at strange times. Just wasn't making sense. So finally they were going to send me to another hospital. And I was starting to come through at this time. And they already had the ambulance on its way. And I told my husband, that's a psych hospital they're sending me to. Oh, my word. They want to send me to a psych hospital to get evolved. I said, you've got to do something to get me out of here. I said, you know, this, I don't know what is going on, but this is not, this is not a psych issue. And I'll be stuck there for three days. Yes. They do, you know, their evaluation and there's nothing wrong with me. So I finally, they would not call my medical doctor, my specialist. So finally... My husband called my doctor at home, and he had to, to, he finally spoke to them through my husband's phone, and that they agreed that my doctor would take all responsibility for my welfare. He would take any flack if something happened to me. He was being held personally accountable, and for them just to discharge me to my husband, and he would take it from there. And so they finally released me um, under a lot of stress to my husband and me that I had this psychiatric disorder that they need to be dealt with. And the next morning we went downstate to my specialist and we didn't know what was happening. And he just said, well, you probably just overdid it. And it was just extreme exhaustion. But he said, it is not a psychiatric condition. And then, of course, I got, you know, a horrible migraine, um, the head pain. Yes. But it goes back, you know, to show that the treatment that I got without really listening to me, the horrible experience that that could have been, we all hear horror stories, especially right now, 
there's a girl in in Europe who's being held who has chronic fatigue and they think it's a, a psychiatric condition. We hear these horrible stories and we don't think that it happens in our world that for three days I would have been put in a psychiatric hospital. And, and it is, I can't say it's as simple as it's a hemiplegic migraine, but it is a medical condition. You know, that- it, it's, I'm, I'm so uh, glad that you shared that story because it's really important. And, and I really hope that the medical community hears more of these stories. I went through a very similar situation when I first had my extremely intense, uh, my very first extremely intense hemiplegic episode, I was, uh, of course, taken to the emergency room, uh, thought I was having a stroke. Uh, I lost vision in my left eye. I lost all feeling and movement and uh, function on the left side of my body. And I also suffered from aphasia, which uh, was, I understood what people were saying to me, but I had no ability to speak. And um, I remember uh, there was an emergency room physician at the hospital I went to who said, you know, I could hear him out in the hallway who said, oh, I just think this is BS. I just I think that she's just, you know, faking it. She's, you know, wants attention or she's having some kind of a, you know, a mental breakdown or something like this. And I'm 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 hearing this and and I'm thinking exactly a similar scenario that you described. And and I'm thinking, boy, this is going to go off the rails fast because I know that there's not a psychiatric condition going on for me. I know that there's something absolutely physical happening. And I'm thinking, boy, I'm in trouble. If they're not going to hear me, I'm in big trouble. Luckily, I had about five different physicians who came to see me and through whatever magic went on in their meetings, I was then transferred to another hospital and uh, ended up in the hospital for an entire week in the neurology unit. And they actually had a psychiatrist come visit me while I was in in hospital and he spent about 10 minutes with me and bless his heart he said there is absolutely nothing wrong with you you have no psychiatric condition whatsoever this is absolutely a physical condition and I'm going to make certain that your medical staff is aware of that so that you can get the care you need because they need to pay attention to your symptoms this is a physical um, condition that you have so you know finally things started to turn around but I I do have I have experienced several times the conversion disorder uh, diagnoses and unfortunately the conversion disorder is on my medical record so I have to correct that every time. Um, no, it is not a conversion disorder for those of you that aren't aware is is saying this is a psychiatric or mental condition or psychosomatic. And so being able to finally have the proper diagnosis is also, you know, it, it's scary but it's also someone vindicating to be able to say, see, look, I told you. Yep. And, the, and when I had when I was finally diagnosed with a hemiplegic migraine, I went in because I, I thought I had the mumps. My my neck was swollen wow. and I, I went to the walk in clinic. And as I'm talking, I'm starting to get the aphasia and he's watching my face start to droop. And he starts doing the, the um, muscle strength test. Mm-hmm. And yes. He's, and he's trying not to panic. I could see it in his face and I'm still not understanding what's going on. And they got me over to the ER and the doctors are watching this stroke in a sense mm-hmm. yes fully come on and that time there was to, in their mind they started ruling out everything stroke wise and meningitis wise and yes. because they could see the progression they didn't see the end results they were watching it unfold they were just intrigued and I was so lucky they like you they sent me to a bigger clinic and spent the week getting all the tests 
And but right from the get go at that point, you know, someone said, you know, I've read about these before. I've never seen somebody with them. I've never, you know, I just I remember reading about it in medical school that this happens. And I really think this is what you have. And I, I was so blessed that that person was able to quickly realize that we're watching a stroke, but it's not a stroke. So, yes. you know, let's let's go on that, um, you know, along those lines that that time they it never occurred to them, thank goodness, that it was psychosomatic. And they got me the right treatment and, you know, and that was the a year ago when I was properly diagnosed. And I've been so thankful that that path went the way it had. Absolutely. It, it changed both of our lives for the better, certainly. Yeah. So, awesome. Thank you for sharing that story. So, what do people assume about you as a dysautonomia POTS or hemiplegic migraines? Like, what, what do people assume about you? Because it's, it's basically an invisible disorder. I've never asked, obviously. I don't know for sure what people think, but I think a lot of people, or I have this feeling that people outside of my immediate friend base or family base they may think um, that maybe I'm lazy or hypochondriac or maybe even a kind of self-centered snob because some days I can be very outgoing and very friendly and very, you know, want to be a part of things. And then on a bad day, if I have to go to a parent-teacher conference and I'm not feeling very good, I'm shut down and tuned into myself and even kind of manic depressive to people because I... I'm withdrawn and I'm, I'm just trying to survive and do yes. what I absolutely have to do. And I'm sure to other people, they think they, that very well could come across as she's being snobbish. Absolutely. You know, she's not going out of her way to say hi to me today. But, you know, last time she was, you know, I'm sure that they really don't get at all, you know, what's up with me. I'm really glad you mentioned that. I, I've also dealt with that on multiple occasions where... Uh, after the fact, someone has said, you know, wow, you really seem to be in a bad mood or you're just withdrawn or yeah. you're not sociable or, you know, have called me a few other names, um, <laughs> you know, said I'm abrupt or what have you. And and I'm, you know, I'm trying to explain to them, I know that this is very difficult for you to understand, but I was completely focused that particular day on just stay upright, don't pass out, you can make it, you've got to just take a few more steps to get to that chair, focus you know, re and what you say, it really is a state of survival. Your whole focus is on your bodily functions because your autonomic nervous system isn't doing its job. So you're having to really concentrate on everything you do. And that takes a lot of energy. Exactly. And and they don't have a clue because to them, they've never, they've never had that experience that just walking and breathing to them is just, just very normal. And they don't even think about it. Absolutely. And it is a very cognitive thing to us. Yes. And it's tiring. It, it really wears you out. And like you said, the abruptness, I think because we're so focused on just getting our message, forming that answer to whatever question they may have asked, the politeness is gone. We can't, we're just trying to get just that answer that they want in, in those little subtleties of being polite or smiling when we answer. That's not even, we can't even begin to go to that step. That's exactly right. Exactly right. What has your experience uh, been like, Donna, with the medical community, both positive and negative? <laughs> well, it started off, I think everybody who has any of these invisible diseases or hard to diagnose or rare diseases have, have had um, multiple, multiple negative experiences with ERs or family doctors or even some specialists. 
and we all have our horror stories when we get together to, to, to share and laugh at. But it's very sad yes. because the doctors don't get it. And they're, there, they're supposed to be there for us. And they're supposed to know this stuff. And if they don't know it, they're supposed to, we feel that they should at least steer us in the right direction and not dismiss us. Yes. And I think that's the worst feeling is when a doctor is dismissive of our symptoms or to them that because they've never heard about it, it doesn't exist. Absolutely. And, and that's so wrong. Instead of just saying, you know, I don't know what's going on with you. Um, I acknowledge that this is happening to you. I can see the symptoms. I can see the effect on you. But I have no clue. So I'm going to send you somewhere else. That I can accept. Be human. Tell us your weaknesses as well. One story, when I first got sick, I had gone to have a bone marrow test done. And this is when I was first diagnosed with the POTS stuff. And the nurse took my pulse and she said, oh, wow, you know, you, we have some issues here. Your heart rate is extremely high. And she left and the doctor came in to do the bone marrow. And I didn't say a word to him about my, my heart rate or what was going on because I was, well, one, I was extremely sick and it, I couldn't, it was very difficult for me to even get to the doctor's office and to be standing upright. And I was very scared about the bone marrow test. Well, he came in very, very angry and said, you don't have a virus in your heart. If you did, you'd be dead already. And left, he did the bone marrow and left and was just extremely wow. upset at me. I'm thinking, what? I don't even know what he's talking about. The nurse came back in and said, here are your labs. Take your labs, go to another doctor and get your heart checked out. And I'm so thankful for, for that angel of mercy for coming to my aid. I got to another doctor. He just, you know, diagnosed the celiac, said, I know what's going on. You've got these viruses. You've got this heart issue. His professor from college was doing research on the, the heart issues with the, the cytomegalovirus and the pot stuff. Sent me in the right direction. Got me on medicine right away. Made a big difference. So that, you know, that was... There was a good and a bad in that situation, but I am so thankful for that nurse for putting her job, I'm sure, on the line. Yes. Uh, and having it out with that doctor, you know, about my situation. Yes. And so I that, that's a great story because it's both positive and negative right within one event. And right. I think it kind of sums up what we go through when we're dealing with this. Now, you mentioned that you're taking medications for both your POTS and for your hemiplegic migraines. And yes. so what, what kind of medications do you use in managing your... Your, your conditions? Well, I was using uh, the Tenormin, which is a beta blocker, for years. And that was doing, that was controlling my POTS. You know, I felt enough that I could at least manage and I was able to, you know, be involved in, in life. Of course, all of us would like to be better, but it was, it was to the point where I was okay with it. When I started having the hemiplegic attacks, they changed the beta blocker to a cardizin blocker. And then things kind of fell apart um, POTS-wise. So for the last year, the migraines were not under control. They, I was on the cardism. And then finally in the wintertime, in January, I asked to increase the cardism. I wear a heart monitor, one of the sports monitors with a wrist scratch. Yes. I can keep track, and that helps me with pacing and, and gives me a pretty accurate um, of how I'm feeling during the day. You know, told my doctor that my heart range is up in the, the resting heart range is up in the 95 to 105 range. Just, I'm not feeling good. And so we increased the cardizem and I still wasn't doing well. I was starting to sleep like 14 hours a day. Wow. 
would go to take a shower, you know, my heart rate would spike up to 140, 150, and it was it was staying at that rate if I was anytime I was up and on my feet. So finally, just a month ago, we changed the medication again. So I'm on a little bit of both. And that has made a huge difference immediately. It was within two hours of the new of taking the new medicine. I was on my feet, and for the last twelve days, I have not stopped. I have not had nice. one day. I've not. I'm. I'm going to bed at eleven, getting up at nine. It's just like you have your life back. Yes, it is exactly. And everyone, all my close friends are like, oh, "When's she going to crash? When's the crash going to come?" They're okay, all like, you tell your friends not to upload that stuff for you. <laughs> but it's, but it's, I'm a whole totally different person. I'm out in the garden. My heart rate is now back under you know under ninety five when I'm working. I'm a whole new person again. And the combination of the the beta blocker and the calcium blocker together has really made a difference for me. And then I'm also on Tagamint, which is kind of boost a lot of medication, but you don't have the extra side effect. So I'm on that as well. And it's been very helpful. And then I do have a, an abortive medicine when they do come. Because the cardism alone was not preventing the hemiplegic migraines attack, and I was having a lot of drug sensitivity, they've tried the Topamax and the Depakote and um, the antidepressants, and I was having reactions to all of them. And we finally found the combination of CoQ10 and B2 to have really controlled the hemiplegic migraines for the last maybe three or four months. And then now they only will happen when I, like I said, when I'm extremely tired, ex- you know, under extreme stress. We haven't tried a basketball game recently, so I'm not sure how that would be, um, at least in summertime. And I can handle the track events because they're outside. So come fall or come winter, we'll see how for sure how that's going with the gymnasium. I'll have to check in with you uh, in the autumn and, and yeah. uh, in the winter and see how yeah. that's going. Yeah. So yeah. you mentioned CoQ10 and B2, vitamin B2. Um, yeah. Are there any other alternative medicines or interventions that you use in managing your condition? No, I'm, I am on potassium and I do I drink a lot of water. I cannot drink the Gatorade or like you mentioned, the Pedialyte because I get the angioedema. My tongue and my mouth will swell up. But I, that is what I used to use, the salt water. I would make my own. We called it Robolade. And <laughs> um, I made it for the kids for cross country as well because it would have a little bit of the potassium and sodium using the Morton Light in it. But for whatever reason now, my body, I cannot use it. Hmm. And before, that would be a way, like you said, always carrying that with you, that if I would start to feel that strangeness coming on, I could just down a Gatorade or two and it would it would wipe it away. I wouldn't, you know, nothing would happen. It just would never flare up to anything. But I don't have that luxury anymore. Wow, that's interesting. Uh, That's also a new one for me. I haven't heard that. Hopefully that's not common because Gatorade and Pedialyte is something, as you know, is is, uh, a preventative for us. Yes. So if you aren't able to do that, are there other preventative methods that you can use, such as compression stockings or? Yes. Okay. I do to use the compression stockings. They, especially if I'm, if I have to go out in the, you know, I don't usually wear them around the house. They, they take more energy a lot of days to put them on. <laughs> yes, <than they're> <laughs> um, especially if I'm just moving from the couch to the bed or vice versa. You know, when my, when I'm not under control, when, when I don't have the medication, taking that shower can be extremely exhausting. And then trying to put the socks on 
between those two things that I'm wiped out the whole day in bed. Yes. Um, and then the socks didn't make any difference anyway. But when I go out in the heat, especially in the summer, they do control the swelling. They just feel good to have that massaging on. And my mom has, I don't, my doctor doesn't believe in them per se. He's all into the medication. So I use my mom's script for her socks. Oh, there you go. There and you I go. get her used ones. Um, <laughs> so, so that works out well. Good. Very good. Uh, so what would you say others would be surprised to know about you, Donna? That's hard. I don't know. I think that people don't know how hard this illness is to deal with. I don't think they realize that the daily struggle that I have, when they see me, it's a, a, a good day. They see me in the community generally laughing or smiling, and they don't know that what happens before or after that. They don't see the struggle, the tiredness, um, the having to be on all the time and how tiring that can be. Yes. And I think that there's, there. I know this may sound kind of funny, but to some people, I think there's almost a little jealousy that I am disabled because they don't see the disability. They see me being a stay-at-home mom and I have the luxury to be there when my kids come home from school and they're struggling to work and come home and take care of their kids and they're not seeing the whole picture and there there would be nothing in my life I would want to change more than being able to work and every chance that I do start feeling well like right now we have these 12 good days I you know if it was fall I would want to be substitute teaching again or going back to my occupational therapy job every time I get a little bit of energy I want to be right out there using it yes and it's not it's not something that I I'm a person who wants to just sit around lazy in the house I want to be pushing myself I want to be as engaged in life as I can Th this isn't fun you know being disabled having these problems is not by far anything fun that anybody would want to have that's absolutely correct and you sum that up very nicely. It's something also that you would like others to know to maybe have a little bit of a better understanding of your daily struggle and the outward appearance or their perception is not necessarily the truth. Correct. And aside from what you've just described, is, is there something else that you would say is basically what would be the most difficult aspect to accept about life with your conditions? I think the unpredictability of it, that you cannot plan anything that, you know, a family wedding comes up and you, you so want to go or a family funeral that you really want to go to say goodbye to somebody. And you there's times when you just can't do it, no matter how much you want to. You could be all dressed and ready to go and boom, it's triggered and there you go. It's so hard to plan and so hard to have a life that's so unpredictable like that. And that there's, there's that lack of... A hope for, your, for a cure. Yeah, there's treatments, and as we're finding out, they may last for a couple of months and things you have to shift things around again. We can never let our guard down. We are always living in an unhealthy environment in a sense. We're never living in, in, a, in a realm of, of health. I would say the unpredictability is absolutely accurate, um, and that is one of the things that makes it so scary, because it's, yes. it's how you described you can be feeling absolutely fine one moment, and the next, sometimes without warning or trigger, boom, right. you're in the middle of an episode. Right, and, and with me, I, I live in a small town, in, like I said, in northern Michigan, and so when I get groceries, I can go to, you know, drive a mile away and go to our tiny little grocery store and get our groceries, 
and if something happens, I can call somebody or or I can manage that mile to maybe get home. But if I go into our big store to, you know, I have to drive 40, 40 minutes to go to Walmart. And those trips, I find that I can't just spontaneously do anymore. Yes. Even on a good day, I'm, you know, well, is my aunt going to be home in Gaylord, this small town? So if I have an episode, she can come get me. You know, what happens if I'm driving and something happens? You know, that's something all of us with hemiplegic migraines really don't want to talk about and really don't want to address, especially not with our doctors, because fear of losing our driver's license. Oh, my gosh, yes. Boy, oh, yes. (laughs) Yes. So we kind of avoid that subject. But yet we know in our our mind that, you know, if we're not feeling well, we we don't drive because we don't want anything to happen. But yet we know that... Every time we do, you know, we are kind of putting ourselves in a in a scary situation because you never know what's going to happen. I'm so glad you brought that up as well, Donna, because that is another really key point to this uh, condition or these conditions that we deal with. Those kinds of effects on our daily life that people don't really recognize. And I went through, wow, initially at the very beginning when I was first getting diagnosed when this first came on the forefront again, uh, was in November of 2011. I had started becoming very episodic again in 2010. And by uh, end of 2011, I was back in getting ready to go through a whole slew of tests. I didn't know what was coming. But in the the beginning stages, right out of the gate, one of the uh, PAs, one of the physician's assistants was saying, oh, well, I, you know, I think it's seizures and we're going to have to notify the DMV and we're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to revoke your license. And I'm, I'm just saying, whoa, whoa, time out, time out. First of all, I recognize that I should not be driving when I'm in the middle of these episodes and I will be responsible and not do that. I'll find someone to drive me around. But please don't just arbitrarily revoke my license because, uh, you know, when I started doing the research on it, it it turns out that uh, once you go through the reinstatement process, which could take months or years, depending on what your physician, you know, provides to the DMV, your insurance actually will end up costing you more than wow. if you had gotten a DUI. Wow. Yes. That so, is amazing. Yeah, the repercussions there are enormous, yeah. not to mention the loss of freedom. <laughs> right, exactly. And that's what I think the hardest part for me when I was very episodal, like you said, that there was like a, a maybe a four-month, five-month span that, you know, I knew not to drive. And it was yes. very hard that everywhere I wanted to go had to have somebody with me. Yes. You know, having my mom take me to, to get groceries, having my husband take me to my daughter's sport events. I couldn't go do, I had to call her friends for carpooling for them, pinning back and forth. Just the organizing, having to organize and schedule everything I wanted to do was very, very difficult. And it made me more aware of the elderly in our environment, yes. our communities. How in the world do they manage when they lose their license? Because it was very hard and I couldn't wait till I got stable enough where I could get back to driving. But I think most of us are very aware of it and we do take it very seriously. Yes. We know that if we're in one of those episodal things that we, we stop, we don't drive, we don't want anything to happen. Correct. And we are very responsible for those actions. Yes. At least I hope so. Uh, I know I am. And Donna, it sounds like you are. And any of you listeners out there, I'm sure you are as well. But please do take that into consideration because it's not just yourself that's at risk, but everyone else on the road around you. So we do have to pay attention to our symptoms. And if you do happen to start feeling funny when you're behind the wheel, please pull over. 
and call someone. So what, besides for some of the things that we've just already talked about, what, what was the most difficult thing? What was really hard for you to give up or something that you really missed doing because of your disorder? I think just my independence. I've always been a person who, who likes to just go, just, just take off and do things on my own. And I can't do that anymore. Having that wheelchair in my van um, is a constant reminder even when I'm in a really good spell that I'm not normal in that sense, that I'm always having to be careful and be aware of my health. And I just, I don't have the luxury of just, you know, just going out and just doing what I want to do all the time. Yes. And that has been a lesson in humility as well. What has your illness taught you, Donna? I think to be, to be more flexible in life, to um, really appreciate the small things to let the big things go. So many petty things that people get upset about. <laughs> I've had to just learn, you know, that in this in the scheme of everything, that's so minor. Absolutely. Uh, when, when you're dealing with your health like this. And, and I've also have tried very hard um, not to judge others anymore. Mm-hmm. That, you know, when I think back to, you know, people I know who at one time I might have thought that they were lazy people or whatever that, I really, or someone who is kind of gruff or having a, I, I look at it differently and think, well, maybe, you know, maybe they're having health issues or maybe they're really not lazy. Maybe there's some kind of underlying thing. And I, I'm giving people a little bit more oh, benefit of the doubt, maybe. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yes. It is a perspective changer. That's for sure. Yes. <laughs> and what is something positive that has come out of your experience with, with these conditions? I think the the most thing is that, I have made some incredible friendships with people who have similar diagnosis, who are going through similar things with Facebook now, with support groups online. Even someone in a small town now has access to people who have similar things. And I've made some incredible friendships closer than I have with my real life friends because we can share such common common situations and laugh at ourselves. Yes. That that's just been just been a, a neat side effect, I guess, of our illnesses. And I and I have a lot more compassion towards people. Very nice, very nice. What what is something that has surprised you about living with your condition? Uh, that that life sucks and it isn't fair. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we we found out the fairy tale isn't real. <laughs> exactly. That, that everybody has their you know their own their own problems in life and we just have to kind of just you just go with it that that's just the way it is you just you move on and that's that's life yes yes and and not only just deal with it but learn to overcome it and learn to find the joy even in the midst of the struggle right i think that i think you learn to adapt you learn that the human spirit is a lot stronger than at least with mine, it's a lot stronger than what I would have thought, you know, that every time that a new episode happens, a new illness comes up, you know, I think, oh, how am I going to deal with this? And then, then it balances out, you learn to live with it, and then you go on to the next thing. So I think the human spirit is a lot stronger than what people who don't go through things realize. Yes. And that's so wonderful for listeners to hear who 
are who happen to be in more of the downward spiral of these episodes right now. People who happen to be bedbound, people who happen to be in the worst of it. Sometimes, as you mentioned earlier, Donna, you can go through a four or five month period where it's just daily struggle. There is light at the end of the tunnel and you can bounce back and, and there is, you know, there's hope. So it's we need to really focus on that. And I love how you explain that, you know, on your good days, you're out in the community and you're laughing and you're smiling. It's learning to enjoy those moments that we have because we know that they can be fleeting. So it makes them all that much more important. Exactly. What advice can you give to others with this challenge, especially someone newly diagnosed? I think not to give up hope and to keep fighting for a good doctor. Yes. If you don't, if your doctor doesn't understand you or you just don't feel that he's going this, the, the right path for you, you hired them. You can fire them. Oh, you're the, you're the second person who has said that. I love it. Yes. If, if you don't, if, you're, if your thought patterns, if you're not meshing up, go to a different doctor. Don't hesitate. I know nowadays insurances come in to part and that's... They don't let doctors treat the way that doctors want to treat, and they you may be held to certain doctor plans or doc, certain clinics. But there's there's always got to be something a little bit, you know, another doctor somewhere within your plan, or even take that risk if you have to, in in you know save up some money and still go to another doctor. Your it's your health and it's worth it. You could sit and lie in bed for years and years and have absolutely no life. Or you could, you know, mortgage your house to the hilt, find a good doctor, get on medication that will work, and be back and productive back in society. And yeah, you had that initial cost, and you know, but you'll recover that, and you'll be so much better in general. Your spirit will be better. You know, you're you'll just be happier that you did everything you could. And there is doctors out there who do get these illnesses. You just have to keep pushing until you find one of them. Yes, and I want to take a moment to give kudos to those physicians and the medical staff out there who not only are striving to understand this condition, but uh, actually do push through to provide the proper testing and to listen to their patients and to follow through and determine that there actually is something going on besides anxiety or stress or conversion disorder to actually take the steps necessary to find out what is actually happening. And thank you to to all of you physicians and medical staff out there who have done that and who have gotten so many of us back on track. We do appreciate it. What's something that you would like to see change in the medical community regarding your condition? I think I would I would like to see that doctors and physical therapists be better educated about these conditions, both when they're in school and continuing education, keeping up to date on the new research. And I think more and more people have these these illnesses and more and more people are going to be getting diagnosed with these illnesses. And I think that the more research they can do or keeping up to date, the better off we're all going to be. And with online, there's so many ways now people can get that information. If a patient brings a printout from the computer that this is similar to what I have, you know, if a doctor wouldn't dismiss that, you know, take a, take a couple seconds and read over it and say, oh yeah, I, I, I see where you're coming from. I don't know about this illness. I've, you know, I don't, I've not, you know, heard of it before or I've not dealt with it before, but, 
you know, I'm open to suggestions. I'm open to work with you. We'll we'll go through this together and we'll we'll find a treatment for you. Absolutely. And again, you know, it's a fine dance. And I, I do understand also from the physician's point of view that oftentimes they are dealing with uh, actual hypochondriacs. And so there's this fine line between, oh, great, here's another self-diagnosed, you know, WebMD being on the internet. You know, they think they have this or they have that. But being able to manage that dance between really listening to someone with an open mind and and then being able to determine people who are just acting in a hypochondriac fashion. The beautiful thing about dysautonomia, in particular with POTS, at least uh, with postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, is it's very easily diagnosed with a tilt table test. So that can rule in or out pretty pretty quickly. Right. So what's something that others say to you about your condition that really gets under your skin? Um, I think when when people ask, well, you know, what's wrong with you? And I say, well, I have hemiplegic migraines. or in, And they hear the word migraine. Oh, my sister or my brother has migraines, and I know how bad they can be. And it's like, you know, yeah, one, you don't, unless you suffer from a, a, a regular migraine, you really don't have a clue. And two, a hemiplegic migraine is so much different than a regular migraine. Yes. Um, because there's so much more, there's more to it than just a, a pain in the head. Absolutely. So that, that kind of just like, no, they're not the same thing. Correct. Um, they're not in the same ballpark. And I, I think that it kind of makes me think that they're belittling my feelings. Or like if I say with the, the tachycardia, the, pots and they'll say well I get dizzy when I stand up maybe I have pots <laughs> um, I realize that they're trying to make a connection they're yes. trying to understand they really are trying to to grasp what it is but they they really don't know um, how debilitating the illness can be correct and I think you know actually just trying to do these kinds of interviews that I'm doing with people and getting the word out there it's easier for you to say hey go listen to this podcast or, or exactly. you know I heard a really great idea as well um, where some people actually make little business cards with links on them to dysautonomia network to dinet.org and to the hemiplegic uh, different hemiplegic sites hemiplegic migraine sites that you can go to and when someone says well I don't understand what's going on you know what's with your illness you can hand them the business card and say here if you want to research it there's there's the information if they throw the business card away when they walk away you'll never know and it, it's a nice clean tidy way if they're interested they'll look it up and if not that's fine but it kind of saves that whole because my my issue in trying to explain this to someone is first of all trying to explain it in layman's terms and secondly trying to explain it concisely where we're not standing there three hours later as I'm going over flow charts with this is what <laughs> happens in the body this is what's going on so um, just being able to concisely explain is is a challenge yes. yep and th that's really that the business card is a really neat idea I know I've been putting more and more things on my Facebook and that my family has been very appreciative of that to me and that, that surprised me that they thanked me for putting little blurbs on Facebook because I thought they would be annoyed that I'm always posting you know different advocacy things mm -hmm. and they're they're glad to understand what I'm going through yes that they have that desire but they just didn't know where to go and they may not be a person who wants to spend hours and hours researching like many of us have to do to understand our illness and it is pretty concise and, and just in one little you know it'll give 
you know, maybe five different symptoms, just very simple. And it gives them just a, just a short little glimpse of what it's like. And, and that's helped them a lot. That's wonderful. And, you know, so my, my last question, actually, in wrapping up our interview is what you would suggest to raise awareness about dysautonomia or POTS or hemiplegic migraines. And I think you're explaining doing your part by using Facebook and, and doing status posts and, and just posting different um, little snippets of information and, and digestible sound bites that you're dealing with and, and raising awareness that way. Do you have any other things that you do? Personally, I'm going to get more into advocacy. Doing, I'm an occupational therapist, and I want to start doing some lectures for OT students so that they understand when they get a patient who has some symptoms, if they're not diagnosed, or you know, to guide their doctors on on treatment and understanding it themselves. I'm. That's one way that I think that I can go back is to go to students and put on presentations. For that I know what they should know as an occupational therapist and starting out with new students who are so eager to get information that then they will have that and hopefully they will will branch out when they get in, into an employment situation that they then can teach their co-workers about these illnesses and just always have at least another diagnosis in the back of their head that maybe somebody missed this and maybe we should be looking into something, you know, along a different angle if somebody's not progressing like they should. Perfect. That is wonderful. Donna, keep me informed on that. Let me know how that's going. And when you have that up and running, I'd love to also share that on my uh, Facebook pages and my Facebook wall so we can continue to raise awareness and get the word out. And Donna, I really appreciate you spending time with me today. Thank you for having me. This has been a joy to, to get my voice heard out there. Wonderful. And um, I do appreciate all of you who are taking the time to listen to this. And please, these podcasts will be available for free download. Share with your family. Share with your friends. Share with any of the awareness groups out there. And, and we'll continue to get the word out. Sounds wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Donna, you have an absolutely fabulous day. And thank you so much for taking time to talk to me today. Thank you. You're welcome. Hey, I want to give a shout out to Steve Schoen, an accomplished professional voice actor and audio producer who created my new intro and outro for Transpersonal Radio. Steve is based out of the Sacramento, California area. If you'd like to hire Steve for voiceover work, you can find him at soundsofmyvoice.com. That's sounds with an S, soundsofmyvoice.com. Steve is also an event entertainer and wedding DJ. If you want to liven up your event with a truly talented and fun personality, check out sacramentoweddingdj.com. You can also find Steve on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash steve.shown. That's S-C-H-O-N. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Trans Transpersonal Radio. If you'd like to suggest a future future topic or be a guest, visit transpersonalradio.com. Call the hotline at 619-800-6057 or like our page, facebook.com slash transpersonalradio.